Good evening, everyone. Really good to be with you all. Uh, welcome to church. Let me have a welcome to Chibos. Uh, let me reinforce the importance of Destiny United. Bill Wilson, if you, who's heard Bill Wilson speak before? Okay, a few of you. You, got it, you, got to, you can't miss this guy. He is absolutely incredible. I think he's got 30,000 kids in his Sunday school in Bronx, New York, which is not the easiest place to have a Sunday school <laughs> if you want to live. Uh, but he's, he's an exceptional preacher. He won't just be speaking about kids. He will be uh, challenging us as a church and taking us to another level. An amazing guy. I've heard him several times. We had him here a number of years ago. We hired the um, Dynamic Earth building for, for that event. And uh, he, is, he is just brilliant. So come along. Don't miss it. And it's going to be 11 o'clock instead of 10.30 here in Gorgie. All the locations will be together. It's going to be epic. Okay, let's pray. And then we'll, we'll turn to some things I want to share tonight. Father, thank you that you're among us. Lord Jesus, you're amazing. Thank you you're here because we are gathered in your name. And you know everyone here. And I know you have a plan for them. I pray that as I speak, you would speak. I pray you'd reveal yourself and help people tonight. Help me to share all that is in your mind and heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the former president, George Booth, Bush. <laughs> um, I'm getting William Booth and George Bush. Anyway. George Bush, former U.S. president, turned up one evening at an old folks' home, and he was in conversation with an old lady who really didn't recognize who he was, and he said to her, do you know who I am? And she says, no, but if you don't know who you are, talk to the lady at the front desk, she'll tell you your name. <laughs> Being sure of your identity is one thing that's incredibly important. For in any way in life, if you want to have any form of success or take any ground in life, you need to be sure of who you are. You need to be very clear in your identity. And um, one of the things about Jesus is Jesus was incredibly sure of who he was. He was very secure. And if you want a title for what I'm going to share on this evening, is Jesus is secure. We've been working through John's gospel, looking at who Jesus is. And tonight we're looking at Jesus is secure. We're in John chapter 7. I'm going to read you this passage. And as you go into this verse... These verses, and there's a lot of them, I'm going to take a bit of time to read the verses so we put it in context and then share things that are really going to help you. I really know this is going to help you tonight, so I want you to be ears wide open, ready, hearts open, and I believe God is going to speak to you. Um, this is a passage where Jesus turns up in Jerusalem and the crowd was split big style. You're going to see that as we're looking at the verses. Some of them thought Jesus was great, others thought he was not great. Some of them thought he was good, others thought he was a deceiver. And at one point they say, you're actually demon-possessed. Okay, so the crowd was seriously split. Let's go in there. And imagine how you'd have felt going into a crowd like that. And look how Jesus was incredibly secure and handled it very well. John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to, to, uh, to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see your works that you do. No one who wants to be a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers, his own brothers, did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now, Jesus wasn't lying. I'm not going, then he goes, okay? He was just saying, I'm not going then, but he did go a day or so later. Now, the festival, in the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus, asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some people said, he's a good man. While others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple court and began to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? And Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak of my own. In other words, if you want to operate in true discernment, want to do the will of God. If you really want to do the will of God, you'll know if something's true or not. 
whoever speaks on his own does, does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth, and there is nothing false about him. He is, has not Moses given you the law, and yet no one of you keeps the law. Now, that was a controversial thing to say in Jerusalem, which was the hotbed of religion, where everyone was so zealous for the Jewish law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you were all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, although it did not actually come from Moses, but through the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath, and if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses is not broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's body, whole body, on a Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances. Instead, judge correctly. At that point, some of the people in Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? And here he is, speaking publicly. And they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that, that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here in my own authority. But the one who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him. And I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his time, his hour, had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him, and they said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowds whispering such things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees and sent the temple guards to arrest him. And Jesus says, I'm with you only for a short time. And then I'm going to go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go where we cannot find him? Will he go to the people, our people who live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Oh, wow. So Jesus throws himself right into the midst of this situation. Everyone's got an opinion on who Jesus is. And many people have murderous intent about Jesus. Jesus splits the crowd. And you know what? He still does. C.S. Lewis, the great author, made this comment about Jesus. He basically said that Jesus making the kind of claims that Jesus made about himself, you know, claiming to be divine, claiming to be God in the flesh. That to make such claims, either he was mad, you know, kind of loopy, making claims that he really believed, but he was deluded, or he was evil. In other words, he knew full well that it was wrong what he was saying, yet he went ahead and said it anyway to deceive people, or he was completely true. That's the only three options you've got. He was the mad, evil or exactly who he said he was. Now here's that. Here's the litmus test. The proof is in the pudding. You know a tree by its fruit. No, no mad or evil person ever has produced hugely positive effects on planet Earth. No one. And yet you look at the impact of Jesus Christ on planet Earth. Here's some of what, he's, what he and his followers have accomplished in his name, inspired by his teaching. The abolition of slavery building of hospitals. In fact, in China, as far as, as, as late as 1935, half of the hospitals in China were run by missionaries. The development of the nursing profession, both here and globally, all inspired by the teachings of Jesus. The reforms of prison, the care of orphans and the elderly, the foundation of innumerable charities, for example, Red Cross, YMCA, Habitat for Humanity, and the list goes on and on pioneering work with lepers, the development of education worldwide. Again, until recently, 80% of all sub-Saharan uh, education in Africa was carried out by missionaries. The ending of cannibalism and child sacrifice in Glasgow, sorry, in, in several continents. <coughs> Foot binding and the exposure of baby girls in China. War, the war against widow burning, infanticide, and temple prostitution in India, and the list goes on and on. Jesus and his teachings have inspired positive transformation globally. That is not the fruit of a mad or evil person. I am only left with one conclusion, as you are hopefully, and that conclusion is that it's exactly who he claimed to be, that none other than the Son of God. And it's not just his life splits the crowd, it's what he did on the cross. 
Um, this, this kind of sums up. This, is, this, this picture here is a picture of some graffiti, Roman graffiti. It dates back to 200 AD, and it's on the wall in Palestine Hill in Rome, where someone's carved this into an old ancient plaster wall dating back to 200 AD. And it's a picture of a, a human being with a head like a donkey hanging on a cross and a man bowing before this person on a cross. And the inscription says, a man worships his God. And the point is this, to the Romans, the idea that God would become a man and would suffer was a ludicrous idea. See, Romans, their view of any deity was that deities were heroic, that deities would never serve, that deities were there to be served, that deities would never suffer. And yet here comes Jesus, who is God in the flesh, and he dies on a cross and rises again. And the Romans thought that was ludicrous, but millions thought it was true. It splits the crowd. And if you think about it, it does split the crowd. The idea that God would become a man and die for all humanity and rise again is a crazy idea. Or it is the greatest news ever. You couldn't get greater news. Either it's the most ludicrous thing that God, the creator of everything, becomes a man and dies on a cross. That's either the most ludicrous thing or it is the best news ever. Because if God did indeed become a man and die on a cross and rise again, it tells me, number one, I'm a seriously bad sinner. That's what it took to take away my sin. And it tells me, number two, I'm a seriously loved sinner. That's what he was willing to do to take away my sin. I'm blown away. I believe Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. I believe that on the cross he paid the price for your sin and my sin and every regret we carry. And in his resurrection he gives us power to be transformed in life and in eternity. It's an amazing gospel. So going back to Jesus, imagine how you would have felt going to Jerusalem with all that controversy going on. Here's what I'm going to do in, this, in, the, in the next part of my message here. Very simply, I'm going to break down all those hundreds of verses that we just read. And I'm going to put them into a simple three-point order. To be honest, I've got a nine-point message here tonight. Okay, I've got three sets of three. I'm going to talk about three insecurities that Jesus and we would face in such scenarios. I'm going to talk about three securities you can have even in the midst of insecurities. And I'm going to end with three secure responses we can make to such circumstance as Jesus faced. So first of all, three insecurities. Number one, they question motives. You saw the crowd questioning Jesus' motives. In fact, it started with his brothers. Verse three and four, it says, the brothers said to Jesus, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the works you do. No one who wants to be a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. They judged Jesus' motives. They assumed, you just want to be famous, Jesus. You want to be a public figure. They were kind of mocking him. They judged his motives. It kind of reminds me of way back in the Old Testament, Joseph. Remember, Joseph had those dreams, and his brothers mocked him. His brothers totally misunderstood and, and thought, you're just trying to make yourself better than us. You're just trying to put your head above the parapet. You're just tall, it's a kind of tall poppy syndrome. That's what Joseph's brothers did as well. I remember, you know, it's, it's not easy when people judge your motives, right? It's really hard. In fact, I remember when we bought this building uh, way back in 2008, and we, we'd outgrown our Leith building, we'd gone to three services, and then we bought this building and we started service here. And I remember a, a, a very public and good Christian organization in the city, a well-known, I'm not going to name them, but they wrote a public letter and posted it on their website to Destiny Church, publicly challenging us and saying, why are you moving into a new area and please don't take people from other churches. And it was such a public questioning. Would, anyone who didn't know us would be left with thinking, oh, destiny, go into areas and take people from other churches. But actually, if they'd done their homework, they would have figured out that actually destiny do everything they can to grow by reaching people for Jesus. That's what, and actually, if you know us, that's our reputation. It was such a horrible feeling to have someone publicly, read by thousands of people in the city that we love, uh, 
kind of bring us into question as way it hurts. And you know how it feels to have someone question your motives. It's very, very painful. Sometimes it happens with those up close in your marriage or in your family. Sometimes it happens with those in your workplace. Sometimes it happens with relatives or friends, so-called friends. Sometimes it happens on social media. Sometimes it happens with journalists. People question your motives. And it's painful. And that's what happened with Jesus. Second um, insecurity that, that Jesus would have faced was they questioned his actions. Look at verse 12. Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering. Turn to your neighbor and say, whisper, whisper, whisper. There was widespread whispering, just like there is this evening. <laughs> widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. You know, so what's the controversy about? Okay, well, a year and a half before this point, it's recorded a chapter or so before in John's gospel, Jesus healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. And this man had been crippled. And Jesus healed him, which is awesome. And you think everyone would love him for that. And yet, half the Jews, it split the crowd because he happened to do that miracle on the Jewish Sabbath. Oh, and that was, that broke all the rules. And so it split the crowd and that's why all this whispering was going on. And the thing is, there are always voices. There are always voices. There are always voices that will try and stop you doing the will of God. Some of those voices will be in your own head based on your own insecurities. Some of those voices will come from other people around you. And there will always be voices, that will, and the voices are designed to neutralize your effectiveness, stop you in your tracks, and stop you pursuing the call of God in your life. And Jesus even got those. Aristotle said this, there is only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. I remember way back before we even bought our lease building, when we were still meeting in the little primary school, there maybe was... 30, 40 of us, Jen, you'd have been there and Graham was there. And, you know, a few of you were still connected. Way back then, we're in the church. And remember, we had a very well-known speaker come and speak at our church of 30, 40 people. And he's well-known. If I mentioned his name, you would instantly know his name. And he, he started a great organization that's well-known all across the UK. Um, and he came and spoke at our church. And he was fantastic, really good. And me and Ange had him back for lunch at our place afterwards. And, and during lunch, he... He said, this is after him speaking at the church, he said, to be honest, I, I don't think the church has got a future. I think it's, it, it felt rubbish. It didn't feel exciting. It didn't feel like it's going anywhere. I honestly think you should, you'd, be, you'd be better off just plugging in somewhere else and just bringing this thing to an end. <laughs> and it totally floored me. Totally floored me. Man, I mean, those words went around my head so often on the back of that conversation. We didn't take his advice. <laughs> he was wrong. <laughs> He's done other great things, and I honor him, but, and I won't tell you who he is. <laughs> but man, there's nothing, there's nothing more painful than when your actions are being questioned. Rick Warren said this. Rick Warren's a pastor of a great church in, in California. He said, being controlled by the opinions of others is a guaranteed way to miss God's purpose for your life. Gossip whispering it kills families it kills churches it kills communities it kills workplaces don't participate in it and don't let it affect your soul it's just words third insecurity is they question jesus's source verse 20 and this is really cutting they said to jesus you are demon possessed the crowd answered <laughs> i mean that's that is the biggest misunderstanding in all history. You know, if you're deeply committed to doing the work of God with your life, you're deeply passionate about doing God's work, and then someone comes along and criticizes you as being of the devil or a heretic or something like this, there's nothing more painful. I've been there. I've had that. I mean... I'm just me. I really love God. I do what I'm doing because I love God. I, if I wanted an easier life, I would not be doing what I'm doing. I'm doing what I'm doing because I love God. But I get criticized. And it's hard. It's brutally hard. And this was really cutting criticism. And again, I remember just, I'm giving, okay, this is me doing my therapy tonight. I'm just sharing you all my stories. But let me tell you another story. An organization in the city, a Christian organization, had one of their volunteers 
who was working, and they work with different vulnerable people in the city. And we had a precious lady who'd been in our church for a number of years, who'd gone through a horrendous journey in life, had gone through our counseling system, had been helped in different ways, and the pastoral team, both practically, spiritually, and emotionally, were helping her through things. This organization, the volunteer in the organization, brought this lady a prophecy. And the prophecy was that God was saying that destiny is really not a good place to be and that you need to relocate to this other church, which happened to be the church she went to. <laughs> and she shared this with us, and I thought, that's not a word from the Lord. What a messed up thing to say to someone, especially someone who's vulnerable. So we got in touch with the organization, and they reined that person and said, what on earth are you playing at? And they apologized profusely. But it was a, t- it was a horrible thing. Basically, they were saying, you're of the devil. This person should be here. It was a cutting thing, and it was hard. It was really hard. Jesus prepared us that this sort of thing might happen. He said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you. Oh, that's all right then. (laughs) And persecute you. And say all, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, insecurities can steal away your courage. Insecurities can make people quit too soon. Insecurities can stop destinies and kill passion. And they can put you into neutral. Beware. Insecurities are coming your way. They're probably already festering in your life. You've been affected by them in different, from different sources. And you need to understand that Jesus experienced exactly the same. Okay, three securities. This is where it starts getting happy now. Say hallelujah. Okay, three securities you can have. Number one, know who you are. Know who you are. Jesus knew who he was. Listen to verse 28 and 29. You do not know him. Jesus is speaking about the Father. You do not know him, but I know him. Because I am from him and he sent me. Jesus completely understood God. You see, God is Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, eternally existed in three persons, and Jesus knew I am from the Father. Me, the Father, and the Spirit, we are one, one God, and I am from him. I've been sent from him. I am God in the flesh. He understood this. He was not in any shadow of doubt exactly who he was. And he was declaring it to them. Now here's the thing. If you think back to the earlier part of Jesus' ministry. Remember when Jesus started his ministry. And he went through that time of temptation in the wilderness. Can you remember how Satan tempted him? What, what was Satan's question? What was it? If you are the son of God. He asked Jesus three times. If you are the son of God. You know, turn the stone into bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself off the temple and the angels will. Okay, if you are the son of God, questioning his identity, questioning who he was. How did Jesus answer every time? Help me. It is written. Every time, it is written. Jesus was so clear in his identity because it was in black and white, inscripturated in the eternal, unchanging word of God. And did you know your identity is also found in the eternal, unchanging word of God. Go dig for it. Go find it. Become solid in what it says. Know what the Bible says about you because it's what God says about you and God is your creator and he knows more about you than anyone else. And stand in what God says about you, know what others have said about you and let that be your solidity in life. Know who you are. You remember Jesus before he went into that temptation? Do you remember he was baptized just before the temptation time? And remember what God the Father said to Jesus as he came up from the baptism? He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And it was that very identity. If you are the son of God, that was the very identity that Satan questioned. And Jesus knew it because he'd heard it from the father and knew what was written. He was so clear in it. Do you know from the father your identity? Did you know that the father would say the same about you? If you're a believer in Jesus, the father would say the same about you. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And if some of you have a no problem understanding, okay, I'm a child of God, I've trusted Jesus, I'm a child of God, but some of you would have a huge problem saying, I please God. Did you know that I please God? I please God. Not because I'm so perfect in my behavior, but because Jesus is so perfect in his behavior. My acceptance before the Father is Jesus. You know, if I don't please God, I'm doomed eternally. 
Literally, it's not like, all right, I slightly please God. No, no. Either I'm completely accepted before the Father based on Jesus, or I'm completely rejected. There's no halfway house here. You either in Christ or in Adam. That's it. So the declaration of the Father over you, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, is the declaration of God over you if you are in Christ. Not based on your behavior, but based on Christ's behavior. Not based on your righteousness, but based on the righteousness of Christ that has been attributed to you. He declares you righteous. Say, I please God. I know some of you feel awkward saying that even. Say it again. Make yourself awkward. I please God. Wow, I please God. Now you have assurance as you pray. Now you have assurance as you walk into the future. You see, don't let others, what others think about you, decide your identity. If my identity is based on what you think of me, I'm in trouble. Because what you think about me will change. Okay? You know, and people let their whole identity be based on what others have said. You know, I wish you were more like your brother. You're stupid. You never measure up to the mark. You're overweight. I wish I never had you. And then all the other stuff that you've had said over your life. And here's the thing, if you're not careful, you internalize those comments and you mull them over and they become the word of God to you. And before you know it, you're saying those things about yourself. I'm stupid. Oh, I can't do that. Oh yeah, no, I don't really amount to much in life. And you start repeating and agreeing with what's been said about you, but it wasn't what God said about you. It's what people said about you. You see, if I'm obsessed with what people think about me, it is the quickest way of forgetting what God thinks about me. You see, rather than living for the approval of people, you need to learn to live from the approval of God. And that will give you a security. You see, some people have let their identity be based on the bad things that were done to you. Bad things done to you. But you need to know you are not what someone did to you. Some of your identity is based on the bad things you did to yourself. Things you're deeply ashamed of. And you can't take them back and you remember them all the time. And in your mind, that's what I am. I'm a this or I'm, I'm, I'm a fool because I'm a this. But the great news is this, your identity does not need to be based on what others did to you or what you have done to you, but your identity can be based on what Jesus has done for you. That Jesus' death on that cross and his resurrection, his identity, his righteousness has been attributed to you. Second Corinthians 5.21, read it with me nice and loud. One, two, three. Let's try again. We'll cue it better this time. Ready? One, two, three. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He became what you were so that you can become what he is. You get the righteousness of God because he took your sin on the cross. That's incredibly good news. Believe it with all your heart. Live in the good of it every day. You see, a Christian lives from their identity, not for their identity. And your identity is completely wrapped up in who Jesus is. You think about the crowd that Jesus was speaking to in this moment. Everyone was mixed up. Some people thought Jesus was this. Some people thought he was this. Some people thought he was good. Some people thought he was bad. But in that crowd, who in the crowd went on to change the world? The disciples. Because they're the ones who saw exactly who he was or started to see exactly who he was. And as they saw who he was, they were transformed by him. And as you see who Jesus is and you realize what he's done for you, your identity will be transformed by his power and you'll become all that God wants you to be. The second thing, the second security you can have is know your season. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 6. My time is not yet here. And he said that sort of thing several times in this passage, but also many times through the gospels. My time is not yet here. He was operating on a sovereign schedule. It says, verse 30, at this they tried to seize him, but no one laid hands on them because his hour had not yet come. Like, we're, here, we're going to arrest you and kill you. No, you can't do that yet because my time has not yet come. No, no, you, I'm, I'm actually immortal until that moment. You can't touch me just now. Six months' time, 
you will crucify me. But not now. Not at this festival. It's going to come at the Passover festival in six months' time. Jesus knew exactly the timings of his life. And therefore, he was deeply secure. When you understand the timings of God, it makes you a secure person. Do you know your season? Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, in the Amplified. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times, say appointed times. Did you know that God has determined your appointed times? And the boundaries of their lands and territories. Did you know that God knew you were going to be here at this time and he appointed your times? There's a time where you were born and there's a time you will die and there's time you're going to take these steps and there's time you're going to go to these places and accomplish these things. God has got it all set out. He has a rich and awesome plan. Plug into him, connect with him, walk in partnership with him and be secure. Do you know your season? In Ecclesiastes 3 it says, there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time for war and a time for peace. How can you be secure as a single person? Because you know his times. You see, if God wanted you married, you would be married. But he has a season. And you'll know when that season comes. There will come a season where you... Okay, actually, now's the season for me to get married. And you'll know it before God as you're in prayer. And then you say, okay, that's great. Well, Lord, provide. But until that point, if that's not the season, then that's cool. Just know the season. That's really going to help you in these moments. Some of you are longing for children. And, you, and, the, and you're in the situation where every time someone falls pregnant, there's a yearning in your own heart. Because, and you don't want it to become a bitterness, but you're battling with that. But it's not the season yet. There will come a point where a season will change and you'll know it. And I just want you to not be at the mercy of circumstance or the mercy of such deep, strong emotions. You know, you've unfulfilled promises. And you say, well, Lord, when will these promises be fulfilled? Well, it's not that God has ever lied. It's just that the timing has not yet come. You need to understand that God has timings and seasons and you need to be, this, this is what will give you a security in life where you will know the peace of God in every situation you find yourself in. Thirdly, know your purpose. This is the third security you have. Know your purpose. Verse 16, Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Jesus knew he was sent. He was on a mission. Knowing your sense makes you feel secure. You know, if you think, oh, I'm just randomly here, then you won't feel very secure. But if you know, God has sent me, there is a destiny, God has a purpose, you will be secure. And Jesus was secure in that. When it was built for the White Star Line in 1912, the Titanic was the marvel of her age. At nearly, 800, sorry, at nearly 883 feet in length, the Titanic was longer than the tallest structures on earth at the time. Over 1,800 people left England on the unsinkable ship, but only 675 arrived after hitting an iceberg on April 14, 1912. It took the Titanic just two hours and 40 minutes to sink. While the Titanic was sinking in the North Atlantic, another ship was being built, the SS Medina. It was not nearly as large or as grand as the Titanic, and it made no claim to be unsinkable. And for years, it carried onions between New York and Texas. During World War II, it was converted into a troop ship and carried soldiers across the ocean. It was bombed and torpedoed, but the ship refused to sink. On one occasion, it was the only vessel in its convoy to reach its destination. After the war, it was sold as scrap, but rescued and converted into an Italian cruise liner called the Roma. Years later, it was sold as scrap, but rescued again, this time by Operation Mobilization, who called it the Dulos, and it became their missionary ship. For years, it has held the record for the oldest active passenger ship in the world. Since 1978, she has welcomed as a missionary ship over 20 million visitors 
in 450 ports in 90 nations where people have heard about Jesus on board the doulos. Many lives have been changed and countless lives of people have come to Christ through it. And a few months ago, she was finally decommissioned more than 95 years after she was built. You see, when you know I have a purpose, when you know I have been sent, you may not be as impressed as someone else who looked like they had all the promise. But if you know and have a deep assurance that I am commissioned by God, I have a purpose from God, then you may get torpedoes. You may get wars going all, all, all around you. They may try and sink you, but you will keep going because there is a purpose. There will come a time where your purpose will come to an end. And by the way, knowing the season of your life, will, it should mean that you will die well. Because a moment will come where the end of your life will come and you'll know, okay, this is the end of my life. And that won't be a dreadful moment. That will be a transition moment. We say, okay, thank you, God, for a great life. And I look forward in anticipation seeing you face to face. Because when you understand the times of your life, then you walk with the security even through the valley of the shadow of death. When you know you have a purpose, then you're going to go through life like the doulos, making a difference in the long term, living that purpose. And that will give you a security no matter what wars wage around you. Why am I assured that North Launch is going to, will succeed a year on from it launching? Because God told us, he sent us to launch North. Why am I absolutely convinced the South location that we haven't yet launched, but we're launching, God willing, in February? How am I convinced and so sure that we can go on that risky step and send out best part of 150 people to launch that South location? I am assured because God has spoken to us and I know, I know that this is God's purpose. And therefore, I believe it will succeed for the long term, for the glory of God. How is it you can be sure that what you are doing, or that where you are living, or that your immigration status, or you can be sure because you know every step, you've been following the purpose of God, you can live with a security. So three insecurities. Secondly, three securities you can have. And then thirdly and finally, three secure responses you can make. And Jesus made these responses and so can you. Number one, don't let fear make your decisions. Verses 25 and 26. At that point, some, people, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? And here he is speaking publicly. You know, Jesus knew full well they were trying to kill him. But he knew it was the right time to speak. So he didn't let fear make his decisions. He did the right thing in that moment. He spoke. He wasn't moved by fear. He was moved by God, by purpose. And you can be moved by God. You can be moved by faith. You can be moved by purpose, not by circumstances or fears. I remember when, when I moved to Edinburgh, I, I'd actually been offered a job in Glasgow. I'd just finished my degree in, in, in architecture. And the architecture department had offered me a job in the department, which was a cushy number. It was a good salary, um, you know, Everything was set up for me in Glasgow. But I knew that God had called me to take a step to Edinburgh. And I also knew that on the back of a recession in the 1990s, there were not many jobs going, and there were hundreds of students who had just come out of the architecture school looking for those jobs, certainly, especially in the big firms in the cities. And I knew God had called me to Edinburgh. So I narrowed it down to five firms I wanted to apply to, and I sent five CVs out. And I got the same answer from all of them. Uh, there's no jobs just now, but when there is a job, we will, we will consider your CV, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they would sit in a pile with a hundred other CVs of other hopeful students, and I probably wouldn't have had a chance. Bad faith in my heart. So I took the step of faith. And I remember one day I had my suit on, and my portfolio, and I turned up on the doorstep of the firm I wanted to work for, Reak and Hall Architects, who I reckon are the best firm in the city. They're great. You should look at their website. It's really cool. Good stuff. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not on a commission. <laughs> Just they're a good firm. And I turned up on their doorstep and I asked, can I speak to Tom Bostock, the manager? Um, and the receptionist called through to Tom Bostock and he said, who will I say to you? I said, my name's Peter Anderson. So she called through to get Tom Bostock, the manager. And Tom Bostock came through and he looked kind of surprised. And he said, uh, okay, what do you want? I said, I'm looking for a job. Would you have a moment where I can show you my portfolio? And he said, okay, I'll give you 10 minutes. Anyway, the 10 minutes became an hour and... And that the rest is history. But what, what I didn't know until afterwards is this, that Peter Anderson is also the name of a famous lawyer in Edinburgh. 
who works for the Royal Institute of Architects in Scotland, the RIAS. And Tom Bostock is a personal friend of Peter Anderson. And when he heard that Peter Anderson was coming to see him, he thought, oh. So he straightened up his tie and he, he came through to see Peter Anderson. And who's this guy? If he'd known it was a student looking for a job, he wouldn't have come and seen me. But the 10 minutes became an hour, and he said, if you'd come in two days before, there was no work, but we've just landed two big hospital jobs, uh, and uh, we really like your work. And I had a second interview, and I got the job, and I worked there for five years while we started the church. So what, what am I saying? That you've got to figure out the name of a person that someone knows, and then you've got to stick with that name for the rest of your life so no one finds out? No, I'm not saying that. I don't know how God will work out for you. He'll do it differently. Undoubtedly, he'll do it differently. But what I do know is this. If you don't let fear make your decisions and let faith lead you, and you take the steps of faith, I don't know how he'll do it for you. I don't know what testimonies you will have, but you will have testimonies. Because what God does for me, he does for you. And what God does for you, he does for me. God is great. God can do these things. Trust him. Step out in faith. Don't let fear decide your life. Some people who let fear decide end up saying, do you know what? I'm never going to get that right person. I'll just settle for this person. Well, if God's put someone on your heart, then hold fire till they come. Some people are saying, you know, I'm not going to go for it with my calling again because I got hurt last time. I'm just going to take things a bit easy. Well, maybe God's calling you not to let fear make that decision. Let faith rise in your heart again. Some of you are thinking, I can't apply for that job because there's 50 other people applying for the exact same job. What chance do I have? Well, are they praying? you're praying, it might well go your way. Don't let fear make your decisions. Let faith lead you. Don't, let, don't be led by emotions. Be led by faith and truth. John Wayne, the, you know, the, the Western actor from the, from the American Western movies, he said this, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. There was a story of a man who was bragging to others about how he'd cut off the tail of a lion with his penknife. And he was really bragging about this. And then, and then someone said to him, why didn't you cut off the lion's head with your penknife? And he said, oh no, someone had already done that. <laughs> and you can actually get your penknife out and you can cut off a lion's tail because someone's already cut off the head. When Jesus died on the cross, he already defeated Satan. He is your arch enemy. And what's the worst that can happen to you in life? You die? Well, that's okay, because Jesus defeated that on the cross. So the worst that can happen to you, Satan, sin, and death, are already defeated on the cross. So therefore, you have liberated, you are liberated to live free, live bold, not let fear make your decisions and cut off the tail of lions and take the step that God has got you to take. Second faith response, second secure response you can make is, don't defend yourself. Don't defend yourself. Verse 27 the people were saying about Jesus, said, we know where this man is from, and when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Now the thing is, they thought they knew where he was from, because he had an accent. He had a Nazarene, a northern territory accent, you know, and they thought, Nazareth, that's not where the Messiah is going to come from. The Messiah, they knew the scriptures, the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, and it was going to be a miraculous birth, a virgin birth. But no one did. No one actually took the time to ask him, were you born in Bethlehem? They just assumed, your accent, your Nazarene, you're from Northern Territory. <laughs> you're not the real Messiah. Jesus, if I was Jesus, I'd be saying, man, you've got to be kidding. You just see how I, what went down at my birth. There was a star, angels, shepherds, you know, the whole thing. They're going to be celebrating this in kids' parties for years. You have no idea what went down. I was born to my mum and she was, she was a virgin. I was, it was Bethlehem. I was, it was a census. I had to get to Bethlehem. I was born in Bethlehem. Jesus didn't defend himself. If they really wanted to know, and some people did, that's why it's in the Gospels. Some people took the time to investigate. Who are you? Where were you born? You're the one. But the crowd's just prejudiced. They just decided to make their judgment call and that's what people will do. People will just make their judgment calls. And uh, if they're really interested in the truth, they might ask further, but a lot of people aren't. And here's the thing with Jesus. Jesus didn't spend his time, his life, he didn't waste his time defending himself. You see, someone once said, never explain yourself. Your friends don't need it, and your enemies won't believe it. 
Oral Roberts, who pioneered the divine healing movement in America in the last century. Oral Roberts, it was, he, he had a huge tent and he would run these healing crusades all around America. And that was at a time when not many churches were talking about healing. It was very controversial, but God was with him. And God put it in his heart to do that. And he got so much criticism. I was reading through his autobiography and it talked about how it was just relentless criticism and articles about him from journalists and sometimes by jealous ministers who didn't like the kind of the, the miraculous side of things. And there was so much criticism and accusation. And in his biography, he talked about this and the pain of this, but he said this, I never responded to any of their articles. He said, dead men don't respond. Don't defend yourself. And number three, don't stop doing God's will. Jesus kept doing the Father's will. He went to Jerusalem because he was meant to go to Jerusalem at that moment. And he wasn't not going to go because there was dangers. He wasn't not going to go because there was threats. He wasn't not going to go because he knew the chief priests were going to try and arrest him, but they weren't that time. He was not going to let anything decide his decisions other than the will of God. The Apostle Paul wrote a really insightful thing. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, A great door for effective work is open to me, and there are many who oppose me. Many people assume the will of God, that's when things just fall into place. And doors open, and everyone likes you. That's the will of God. No, never been my experience. Typically, the will of God is faced with opposition. And doors being slammed in your face that God wants you to knock open. And people criticizing you, and it doesn't matter. Sometimes the will of God is not the easy route, but it's the right route. And nevertheless, Paul took those routes. There is no good time to fulfill God's purpose other than God's time. Circumstances will never lend themselves perfectly for you taking the step you need to take in God other than you know in your heart, now's the time. I love this excerpt from John Wesley's diary. John Wesley was a hugely influential church leader in the 18th century he and a few others literally brought transformation to the UK this is what he says Sunday a.m. May the 5th I preached at St. Anne's I was asked not to come back anymore Sunday p.m. May the 5th I preached at St. John's the deacon said get out and stay out Sunday a.m. May the 12th I preached at St. Jude's can't go back there either Sunday a.m. May 19th I preached at St. Somebody Else's Deacons called a special meeting and said I could not return. Sunday p.m., May the 19th, preached on the street. I was kicked off the street. Sunday a.m., May 26th, preached in the meadow, chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. Sunday a.m., June the 2nd, preached at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday p.m., June the 2nd, afternoon preached in the pasture. 10,000 people came down to hear. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, Let us not grow weary, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. You know, pursuing God's will for your life will mean that you get many insecurities coming your way. Jesus did, you will. But you can have three great securities. You can know who you are in God. You can know your season. You can let God's leading be in your life to the extent where you Walk with a confidence and assurance, no matter what's firing off around you or even within you. And then you can make three secure responses. Rather than reacting, rather than it be the mercy of your emotions, we can live with confidence, letting Jesus help us. God can help us with these things. The Holy Spirit can help us with these things. Because sometimes we're weak when it comes to Sometimes we don't respond as we want. But he wants to help us to do that. That's why he's put it in my heart to share this with you this evening. Let's pray our response to him. Jesus, I just say thank you for being amazing. Thank you for your incredible courage. Thank you for living that great life and making that huge difference you made and walking with confidence and courage and not letting anyone move you or or no fears, no insecurities caused you to step back or flinch or make an emotional response. But Lord Jesus, in your great love, you kept on course doing the will of the Father. And as a result, we're all here tonight to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing the will of the Father. 
Thank you for letting nothing stop you. Thank you for being consistent even in the face of all the challenges. Thank you. Lord, you know everyone here tonight. Thank you. You have a plan. Thank you. You have seasons for their lives. You have a specific calling for each of them. And thank you, Jesus Christ, ultimately for dying for them and rising again. We love you. Okay, each one of you in God's presence, take a moment to make your own response to God. Don't just hear stuff that I've said. Talk to God about it. Just take a moment to do that in his presence. While people are praying, it might be this evening that you never personally put your faith in Jesus. And I don't mean kind of vaguely, I mean properly. Put your faith in Jesus. Turn from your sins. Trust in Him to be your Savior. It will change your life. Or maybe at one point in your past you did that. But for whatever reason, you've walked away from Jesus. Tonight, he is calling you back to himself. If that's you this evening, I would love the privilege of helping you reconnect or connect for the first time with him. And he's here and very simply, all you need to do is pray from your heart and trust him. He does the rest. If that's you, and you, you want to trust Jesus as your Savior, then I'm going to pray this prayer. And very simply, I, I invite you to repeat this prayer after me one line at a time and let this be your heart's cry to God. After, you, after me, under your breath, pray, Dear Lord God, thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thank you for being willing to die in my place. In that moment, I believe you took all my sin And you took the punishment that I deserved for sin. But you died in my place. And I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I needed you to do that for me. And I believe in the third day you rose again. And I believe you're alive right now. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me. Tonight I put my trust in you to be my saviour I turn from my sin I give you my life I believe you're alive be lord of my life thank you